0: Michael Mann is the author of Ghost Cloud. It's a fantasy adventure set in an alternate London. The preface sets the scene perfectly. It's a London where Big Ben beeps and Battersea Power Station belches out smoke, where bustling river markets float on the rising water and kidnapping is rife, where the Channel Tunnel lies closed ever since the Old War ended, and far below. Hidden underground, children are shoveling. I'm sure that our listeners will already have questions running through their heads. When did the old war end and what was it about and why are the children shoveling underground? It's a page turning fantasy adventure and Michael joins me in the reading corner to tell us more. Hi, Nikki. So those opening lines between the preface before the story actually starts, they quickly propel us into a different world. I wondered if we could start by you telling us about the story in your own words and whether you can recall how the ideas came together.
1: Ghost Cloud is a a magical adventure about a boy called Luke who shovels coal deep underground, as you said, in this alternative London. And he's desperate to get home to his family Um, and who uh, he hasn't seen for a couple of years. And then uh, one day uh, he meets a a mysterious ghost girl um, who tells him that there is a way out of this power station. And and this girl is called Alma, and she draws him on this whirlwind adventure uh, featuring ghosts, uh, the smog, the skies over London. Uh, And he realises on this adventure that things in the power station aren't quite what they seem, and that he perhaps isn't quite who he thinks he is. Um, in, and in terms of inspirations for the for the story you know there are lots some of them you notice uh, you're, you're explicit about in your mind so your yeah, big idea in the book is that when you see a shape in the clouds uh, whether it's a horse or a skull or whatever that that is possibly that shape is possibly looking back at you too and is, is possibly a ghost uh, a ghost cloud and Luke goes to this ghost cloud world and learns to do all the things these ghosts do and that you know the inspiration for that is just a lifelong love of clouds and sky and you know and I think lots of kids love looking and spotting shapes in the clouds but there are other ones as well inspirations I didn't even realize until later so my granddad's a coal miner and his name is Luke as well uh, so so you know that that was a kind of thread that I, I hadn't realized I'd named this character the same as my granddad and so some of those I think had crept in and I think then in terms of the stories I love I love Wolves of Willoughby Chase where You know, the wolves have come in through the Channel Tunnel at the start. And she has, Joan Aiken has a similar premise. I love Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere and any femme fatale like Mrs. Coulter or The Grand High Witch. And so I think those kind of books have also been a real inspiration in the the tone and the the kind of shape of the the story.
0: I wanted to start with London. You've mentioned Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere there, but London has long been... An inspiration for alternative alternative Londons, if you like, have long been an inspiration for uh, novelists. What do you think it is about London? Do you have a love affair with the city as well?
1: Yeah, I do. I I was born here, and then I moved to Yorkshire, which I also love very much. Uh, But I think when you kind of have a childhood here and then move away, you sort of have memories of a place that perhaps are like larger than life. And then I came back here after uni and. Uh, and like rediscovered it and I think what's special it's it's got so much history and so much new and old side by side everywhere you 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 look you find interesting stories you know and and, and one of the places it's based in is Battersea Power Station uh the story and you know that was a place that I rediscovered i discovered much later and and the more i read about it the more i found interesting facts about it that kind of inspired the story
0: tell us what you found out
1: oh yeah so for example uh there used to be a apparently thousands of cats used to warm themselves against the pipes of battersea power station in winter uh you know on the the kind of hot water that would be pumped out uh, of the plant and unfortunately like they were then exterminated by Aww. by as others you know all these old stories terrible things happen but you know so in my book I was like oh do you know what I'd like these cats to live on and and so I, I there's a there's a there's a whole chapter with lots of cats in it in in the book uh and similarly you know about the smog and the you know the the great smog of London uh, was in 1952 and lots of thousands of people died and how that led to the the Clean Air Act and all those things that probably led to Battersea closing eventually in the 1980s. And that, in my mind, was an interesting point as well. You know, what had happened? This is a what if question for the book. What if they hadn't put that Clean Air Act in? What if they hadn't closed the power station? Where might we be then in London?
0: Just while you're talking about power stations and coal, I'm talking to you the week after COP26. And here in your dysfunctional world, oil has run out. And there's a return to coal power, sending carbon emissions soaring into the atmosphere. Maybe my question is more about whether you had those ideas in mind, you know, about climate catastrophe uh, when you were writing the story.
1: Yeah, I think as a teacher, you do talk to the kids as well in school about the environment often, and they're often quite passionate about it. Um, and, And you study the Victorian era as well in school. And so I think those ideas were very much in the back of my mind and it's not a uh sort of explicitly eco book in it, its mission but it's sort of there in the background and almost because i think i think as much as the book is a bit larger than life and a bit sort of um like you said a catastrophe it it, it is also not inconceivable that these things Ha- would happen, and, and I think you know, without overegging the the eco bit, I just wanted it to be there as the sort of world we're living in while we're having our magical, uh, you know, adventure in the sky. Um, and I think it, it all feels very possible, doesn't? I mean, it all feels like it's very it's very current, and um, uh, it, yeah, it was just very much was in the back of my back of my mind, and I didn't want to ignore it. I suppose.
0: Now we're dwelling on the dark parts of the story here, but I feel that we need to find out a little bit more about the characters. Now, your main character is Luke Smith Sharma. And as we can tell from his name, he has mixed heritage. I know you've spoken about why that's particularly important to you. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit about that. But also, apart from his name, how else is his background reflected in the story?
1: It's a good question. So, yeah, he is half Indian, like me. um, And I, you know, initially when I wrote it, uh, I knew I wanted him to be mixed have mixed heritage like me. Um and I think that was because as a child there were very few heroes in books that were half or mixed or otherwise. And and I think especially not in this sort of magical adventure space. And I think that's even today, there's lots we're so it's so much better now. There's so much diverse stuff. But but in genre fiction you don't get it as much and I wanted to address that. And as a teacher as well, lots of kids don't quite fit the categories in some way or another. You know, you might have I had a kid who doesn't speak Spanish, but, ident- you know, is, is a South American and identifies there. So I think lots of children see themselves as not quite here or there. And I wanted that to be reflected. And so in the book, Luke, uh, so he is is mixed heritage. And but because he's been out of the sun so long in this underground place, he's he's very pale and no one almost believes him. And so he, you know, he he sort of feels like he he wishes sometimes he could be one thing properly. He wishes he could be a a grown up detective instead of halfway to being a detective. So I think that's something I explore in the book. And it's not just him. There are ghost characters who kind of aren't a girl called Alma who who feels like she should be going to the other side, but doesn't really want to, doesn't want to. And lots of these children in the book start off the novel feeling a bit mixed about where they sit on things. And by the end, they learn to embrace that and and feel proud of it.
0: So it's part of his being a, sort of half ghost as well
1: yes absolutely yeah so he is this um half ghost he realizes who um is kind of can can travel between these realms and and at first he's a bit kind of like oh another half thing what you know why why can't i be a proper something and then actually it's it's a real gift and it's one of the reasons he can do what he can do and and his friend jess is a A girl who wants to be the first plumber in the guild and you know she again doesn't quite fit what she should be doing but she's you know she turns out to be a a superstar so so it's all it's all hopefully uh, a bit of a celebration of the in-between
0: They can't do without her in the end. There is a point in the story, I'm not going to say too much, where they leave her behind. Uh, Uh, Thank goodness she doesn't listen to them is all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, I want to uh, move on to thinking about Alma. So Jess and Luke, they are, Luke, Luke was kidnapped some time ago. He spent quite a lot of time underground shoveling coal, Jess is a new arrival. She's got a slightly different perspective on their situation. And Alma is the Cloud Ghost. Mm. When you were naming her, I'm just interested, are names important to you? Does that name mean anything?
1: uh it does actually Uh, my daughter was almost called alma and then it got everyone kept saying oh like coronation street and i was like oh no (laughs) so so i uh, but i love the name so much and i spoke i've learned i know a fair bit of spanish and it means soul in spanish and and i was i just think it's a beautiful name and so i i gave it to alma because she's one of my favorite characters um so and she's obviously a soul you know a free spirit uh, you know so that was it does mean something yeah
0: Tell us a little bit about her and um, what her situation
1: is. So Alma is a kind of feisty, um, kind of says what she thinks kind of girl, who uh, a bit headstrong, but, you know, loyal. And I'd say a bit lonely as well and perhaps like brittle at times. And so she is a ghost cloud and she is you know a, a ghost cloud in the story is that just like a ghost can haunt houses you know you can haunt anything you can haunt um you know haunt, haunt a tree the, the earth and, and the sky and Alma's very much the opinion why would you haunt a house and be hemmed in in a boring house when you can fly through the sky and and you know make it rain and do all the things that clouds can do change your shape and she obviously like lots of these ghosts you know, the idea is that, you know, um, they are clinging onto this world because they have some unfinished business and, um, and she's trying to figure out what happened to her. And, you know, that's her mystery to find out what, what happened, but also, you know, I think she's also a bit enjoys it. She, she's enjoying her, her life up there and she meets Luke and she, when she meets Luke, Luke helps her and then she wants to help him too. And they form a bit of a bond, you know, and I think she helps, she wants to free Luke. And Luke, in a way, it kind of helps her, you know, frees her in, in other ways too. And so it's a really, uh, she she's was great fun to write. She, she comes at things from a very different angle and has lots of good lines, I would say.
0: And really that's what propels the plot along is this idea of escape from uh, the power station. And also as a story, uh, this strand of the story adds a lightness to it. Uh, mm-hmm. We've come out of the dark And we're going sort of, it's literally the the pits of hell. And then we're going up into the the sky where it's all light. And from the sky, Luke is able to see some of the more attractive elements um, of London. There's a a passage quite early on where it describes the water markets of Waterloo pier. It's just joyful, almost like water gypsies, as it were, you know, Mm. uh, really nice uh, description. You're going
1: to read a little bit for us about flying, aren't you? Yes. Yeah. Oh, just just before I start, you know, the name Luke also means light, light bringer, and so there's another kind of uh, link there. And I think you're, you know you're right. It's very much a story of though there is a darkness in it. Uh, what I really want readers to feel is like a sense of escape and magic and being transported, um, and I think you know somewhere utterly different. And I think that's hopefully what you get once you've you know been pulled in the opening chapter. So we are on uh, chapter eight. It's called The Undersky. So the sort of lower level of the sky, that means. And this is just after Luke, one chapter into Luke having been taken to the sky by Alma, the, the ghost cloud girl. So, falling through a cloud ravine was more pleasant than he'd expected. Logically, Luke knew he should worry. A fall from this height, even into water, would kill him on impact. But then, logically, You couldn't stand on clouds in the first place, so he ignored reason for once and enjoyed the glide. He stretched out and brushed his hands against the sides of the clouds as he fell. They felt like bubbles between his fingers. A floor of charcoal grey cloud fluff reared up towards him. He braced himself, but there was no impact. He merely sank softly into the grey. Then gradually, through the grey, faint lights appeared not the white light of stars, something yellower, sharper. They clustered, came into focus and the cloud thinned out and the glittering sprawl of London emerged. Alma grabbed his hand and pulled him to a stop next to her on a swan-shaped cloud. She gestured down at the view. To die for, right? It's something else, said Luke. The chimneys belched smoke high into the air. The river slurped brown and gray. Ant-sized people marched past matchbox houses, and even the chugging riverboats looked small. But the city seemed endless, swallowing the land in all directions. To the north, it gleamed with wealth and grandeur, regal townhouses, well-kept parks, and the rising green of Hampstead Heath. To the south, the slums stretched out for miles of barbed wire fences and corrugated iron, burning rubbish and crumbling walls, hollowed-eyed buildings and sunken streets. His dad had never let him go south, and now he saw why. Only the lights of Battersea glow bright in the south. Alma turned to him. And now, we just need to teach you to fly. Fly? Me? Yeah, and for you, the first step is to relax. You're far too uptight. The water drops are all pent up inside you. Uptight, Luke frowned. I'm not uptight. Alma Alma tuttered, that is exactly what an uptight person would say.
0: (laughs) That gives us a really good insight to her character um, and also the sheer joy of being above it all as well. Now, it's really great to hear you read aloud and I know you are or have been a primary school teacher. You did read aloud to your class.
1: Oh, all the time. Yeah, we had story time in the day. It was my favourite time of the day.
0: (laughs) So one of the things that strikes me about your book is how well it reads aloud and with short chapters. This is great for a teacher.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think for me, you know, that is where I learned so much was the story time and reading aloud and seeing you know, some books I love you know, actually don't read that well aloud. And some books you read and you can hear the rhythm as you read it to the children. And, and you know that when you finish that page or that chapter, they're going to be desperate to have more, you know, there were those books where you would always be late for the parents because, because they were so exciting. And when I wrote this, uh, yeah, I really did write it wanting it to be a, full of cliffhangers and page turners that I could imagine reading it to my kids at school and also for me I think it's always just been something I really love the the, the sound and the rhythm of sentences and and so for me that's something I always do read it aloud a lot to make mm. sure it sounds right.
0: What else have you learnt from the children that you've worked with have they inspired you anyway as a writer?
1: Oh I think they do I think of course that you know there are sometimes you I remember this netball lesson the other day and the ball like landed in this girl's hand in the middle of the pitch and she was the girl who least expected to catch it and just the look on her face there was a whole novel there you know like and, and she was so delighted and so I think all the time they inspire you just through the way they react and talk in the school uh, but quite specifically for Ghost Cloud I think you know one was this reading aloud and wanting something where the kids would be you know hooked and want to know more another was Again, I, you know, there were books I loved, like Emile and the Detectives, which I would give kids to read, but they would always get stuck in that same... There's one chapter where he has this sort of dream sequence and, and, the, and the author gets quite kind of just a bit indulgent, I would say, in his, in his description and goes off plot a little bit. And I think for me, I saw some kids who I was desperate to, for them to love reading and they would always put down the book there. And I, was, and I made a vow to myself that, you know what, I have to make sure that... Whenever I write my book, every chapter has that hook because you, you don't want to lose a single child, do you? On, 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 every time they put down a book, it's just your heart breaks a bit, doesn't it? And what else? I think the one other thing I, I felt as a teacher and writer is kids love words, you know, and, and I know we want things not to be too hard or too easy or you know, the proximal, the but what I decided was I didn't want to simplify the words. Because I've seen kids use really complicated words once they know what they mean. So I've left in hard words, but I've tried to keep the chapter short, like you said, the story really clear so that they're almost, you know, even if they don't get one word, they're dragged along and they will hopefully learn that word because it will, you know, it'll be exciting for them.
0: Quite a few writers in the past have fallen into that trap. In a way, you can't get away with it today because there are so many more books around. But, you know, when Kenneth Graham was writing Wind in the Willows, he could go off on at the gates of dawn and just sort of ruminate but you can't do that in (laughs) a good children's book today you did actually take a course a children's writing course didn't you that was led by Catherine Johnson herself a you know very highly regarded writer um, for young young adults mainly what did you actually learn about the craft of writing on that course
1: she really pushed you to make everything work really hard so I had an opening that I was very happy with and Catherine Johnson was just like no Michael this is not not good enough you know you you need to start with the action straight away you need to make you know this this paragraph isn't working hard enough and so she really you know gave me this mental checklist of you know, I always think, like, "Oh, is my dialogue too on the nose?" You know, is it is it authentic, or am I just using it as a vehicle to kind of explain my plot? Uh, she'd always bring you back to the characters, like, "Why isn't he reacting or feeling more here?" And she would make 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 everything count, really. You know, that kind of integrated writing idea of. You need to be conveying all those things at once and until you until you've really made that chapter work and do setting character dialogue, all of it at once you know your your work is not done yet.
0: That's really interesting because even with that preface that I read out, it was evident that so much was contained in such a few lines. I know it's really hard because you're probably on to book two, maybe finish book two, thinking about book three. So for me to ask you something so specific about book one might be quite hard, but I wondered whether there was anything that you would call actually changing, refining, you know, very specifically as a result of those kinds of prompts from, from Catherine or uh, from your tutors. Two
1: come to mind so i mean the opening chapter started off much more descriptive with a kind of kind of building up introduction setting the scene and Catherine said start in the action you know start there and so though there is a very tiny few lines of describing where there is you have luke's dialogue and ravi talking straight away now and and again i think tabitha the villain didn't really appear until chapter two or three and and uh, basically Catherine cut chapter one and we went straight to chapter two. She said, you, you need all those key elements in that first chapter. And she was totally right. You know, it just makes it a really tense opening chapter that I think pulls you in. The other thing that Catherine really helped me with, and it was also the peers on the, on the course, uh, was thinking about writing your heritage in. You know, I think I had, uh, I am half Indian and I don't, you know, I kind of look quite pale though and have a relatively sort of, Not clearly Indian surname, you know, so she said to me, it's all very well having a half Indian character in your head. But unless you write that in, you know, the kids who need to see that won't notice it or people won't notice it. And so she said, again, you know, Michael, you you can work harder to make this authentic and make this, you know, um, part of the story and it was really hard because you don't read many books about half Indian kids and so you don't know how you do that in a way and I felt like I was sort of being a bit egocentric almost saying because it's you know why it's a magical adventure why is it relevant race wasn't meant wasn't in my plan and she said well you need to find a way to do that and 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 that was and I think we've already talked about how I did that but that was her pushing me to to work harder on that was really helpful.
0: Really interesting point isn't it because uh one of the things that perhaps has uh, beleaguered children's writing for children is what I call the Jasmine effect where people just put the name Jasmine in and somehow that's good enough yes that's it we've done that now
1: (laughs) yes yes I was reading of that CLP report and they were talking about that there and it was really yeah eye-opening I think it's really tricky isn't it and I almost weirdly you know I feel like I should have known better I could have all I almost did the same thing
0: I just want to pick up another one more thing that we haven't really talked about. You mentioned the villain Tabitha. I can't believe I haven't asked you about her because she's a pretty important part of this story. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Tabitha. She, she and Alma are my favourite characters to write. Like Tabitha, you know, is horrible, and uh, and 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 is you know like i I think I alluded to. I, I love like the Grand High Witch in The Witches and Mrs. Coulter and all these kind of femme fatale type characters. And she is definitely in that ilk. I was talking to someone. They were saying, "How did you write her?" And I, you know, weirdly, I, I think I probably started with her. Her sounds like she. You always often hear Tabitha uh coming or smell her tobacco before you see her uh, you know you'll hear the click of her heels or the tap of her nails and that was quite clear to me this kind of atmosphere of this sort of dark power station and this her presence really before you see her and I think that's quite exciting because you know Luke and her friends never know whether she's coming you know where is she right behind them they don't know but they know she's in the room and she's also what I also wanted for her is to be she is a bit kind of you know uh, larger than life in some ways but I also wanted her to be clever and one step ahead because I I love it when heroes obviously outwit the villains but I love it even more when the villains are one step ahead of the heroes and you know your hero thinks they're going to fix it and then the villain outwits them and obviously at the end you know we're going to have a happy ending and my, that's, that's important to me but I think along the way the villain has to be not making silly mistakes they have to be making r- really clever steps that make your hero's success in the end really worth it and so I think Tabitha is like always one step ahead and that's really fun.
0: Now you said in the end but I'm guessing this isn't the end it's just the end of this book so without telling us too much have we got anything to look forward to from Luke, Alma and Jess?
1: yes um uh, they are I've just submitted my second draft of the second book to my editor and uh, so yeah it's um they have another big adventure ahead of them that will be the end of the series it's just a two two book series I'm trying to think what I can do uh you know let's just say one one of the characters maybe you know has some needs some help at the end of the book and so there there's a little uh, they go on more of a quest I would say in the second book to kind of um Help this character, and you may not have seen the last of Tabitha. But I I mean, I I think hopefully, I you'll see more of the world as well. You know, I think, uh, I think, like you said, the first book is this mix of light and freedom in the sky, and then the dark of the power station. Uh, In book two, you'll see a lot more of you know London and and beyond.
0: Yeah, I can't wait. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us in the reading corner today, Michael. It's been a pleasure to meet you.
1: a real pleasure for me too. So thanks so much for having me.
0: In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.